everybody. If you don't mind, we can make our way back to our seats. If you have a Bible, an app, or just want to read along on the screen, we will be in Jonah, mainly chapter 2, but really starting in chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, if you don't know, the divisions of the chapters and verses were added later, so we're not like going against the grain here by starting at 117. But uh, this series through the book of Jonah is meant to remind us that the messenger or the missionary of God's grace is as much the mission of God's grace as anything else we're setting out to accomplish. We talked last week, sort of laid the framework for that, that we really have to be reminded of that. We can think that God has called us and sent us out to go and see great and wonderful things done through us, which is true, but we can forget that God is equally invested in seeing that work of grace being done in us. And if we're not ready for that, we will be supremely disappointed, supremely disillusioned, and maybe extremely depressed as a Christian, as a sent one of God. And actually, the more invested you are in God's mission, the more disillusioned and depressed you can get because you're going to see again and again, wow, I don't really get all this stuff that I've been talking about. You're going to see again and again, wow, I need God's grace just as much as all those other people out there that God has sent me to serve and love. And the good news is, is God in those moments when we feel our weakness, when we feel our need, God is not saying, wow, you really, really just failed me. No, God is saying, well, I'm, I'm glad you finally realized what I knew all along. That you will never outgrow your need of me. That you will never get to a point to where you're on some level that you are exempt from the need of my love and my grace. And this morning we're going to continue to look at that. One thing that a pastor should never do, and this is what you always say before you do it, is kind of use his... his, his privilege and responsibility to go on a little rant, but I want to go on a little one. So it was Mother's Day, and, uh, and I read something yesterday that was like this, you know, everybody goes online to make an argument, right, because it gives people, anyway, I won't go there to be that bold. I will be this bold to say, it was like, pastors, please don't make Mother's Day about me. And I needed, I felt this need to respond to that because we live in this weird social media type world to where it feels like we have to be either or. So like whether it's our politics or whether it's our theology, everyone wants us to put us in these boxes and these categories and tell us what we can do and we can't do. And that just makes my rebellious spirit say, well, I'm, I'm going to do it. And one of the things is, is it's told we can't lament like we did earlier the reality that Mother's Day is a very del delicate and, and hard subject for a lot of people, and celebrate it. And I believe the gospel gives us the categories, whether it's motherhood or anything else, that we can do both. And so we need not have people feel guilty on either side. Condemnation and guilt are an instrument and a tool of the enemy, not of the spirit. And so the Bible tells us that we can weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And so I just want to say that, is that if we think, if we take this attitude like this article did and people did, like, I just want to hear the gospel, 
but we say that means that then we can't talk about the real everyday stuff of life, then I think what we've done is we've removed the gospel from the very places it was meant to touch. The gospel is not this mere abstraction of ideas that we are called as the church simply to just kind of spit out but be totally afraid that if we apply it in any specific ways we're going to kind of overstep our bounds. No, we see Jesus came and He became flesh and He dealt and touched with our real everyday lives and He gave us a pattern that we can talk about things even if we do it imperfectly in ways that sincerely grieve and yet in ways that give us hope. And so we're going to connect some of these things today to, to mothers, hopefully not in a way that either glorifies their experience or diminishes the experience of those who don't have it, but hopefully that reminds us of the good news of the gospel for us all. And so Jonah 1.17 through 2.10, let's hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry ground. Let's read from Matthew chapter 12 as well. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, Speaking to Jesus, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you meet us here with grace. We thank you that in tenderness you've sought us. We thank you, God, that you come after your children. We can be stubborn, Father. We admit it. We can want to wait to obey until we fully understand. We can want to play God. But we thank you that however great our sin, greater is your grace. We thank you, God, that you are committed to us, your people. We thank you, God, that you've invited us here today to again to be reminded that you have given us all that we need in Christ. 
in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the things I would assume, just from watching, that, that mothers have to deal with is a great deal of irrationality, of irrational behavior, of illogical behavior. And that's just the husband. Oh, that's a joke. All right. That's also the kids as well. And one of the things, uh, one of the times that I can remember that, that I think we both engaged in this together was around 4th of July. And so we're into the summer. Glow sticks will be coming out. And I remember putting our kids to bed, and, and they're not in here, so I can talk about them and other things preachers aren't supposed to do. But anyway, they've heard this before. Is, is that they wanted these glow sticks to, to take them to bed with them. But there was also a problem is that one of them at that season in their life was afraid of the dark. And so they would want the lights turned off so they could see their glow sticks. But then as soon as the lights went off and the glow sticks came on, they'd want the lights back on because they're afraid of the dark. And so it's like this. How do I communicate to you that you can't see this light that you want to see unless the lights are off and you're in the dark? You can't have it both ways. You can't experience the, the glory of this light unless you see it in the backdrop of the dark. As I thought about that, I thought about that's often the way we all can be when it comes to our experience with God and with experience to His grace, is we want to have it both ways. We want to have all of our comfort. We want to have all of our fears removed, all of our questions answered, all of our challenges erased, and we also want to see the greatness of the glory of God's grace. But sometimes God, if not all times, has to lead us into a very deep and dark place if we are going to experience the light of His grace. Some of you this morning may be in a season in your life or you'll have a season in your day this week and you think, why in the world would God have me here? Why in the, why in the world would the lights be turned off like they are? In my home, in my job, Maybe in my own heart. I think the good news of the gospel of Jonah chapter 2 we see today is because God knows that, that that may be the only place or is the place He wants you right now to experience His grace. To be there, though, we all have to be honest about the fact that we do forget His grace and we don't know it like we say we do or think we do. So maybe let's think out loud here for a second for any of who are willing, what are some examples in your life of when you have forgotten God's grace or when you've revealed that you've forgotten it? <laughs> yeah. Micromanaging people, taking control, getting stuff done. That's great. What else when does your behavior betray your true belief? Jason said, planning, over-planning for the future. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's good. So maybe summary, if you didn't hear, Cody, your past experiences, hurts, unforgiveness, forgiveness, it, it, it's more real in your life than God's grace. It affects your moods more than God's grace. It affects your life. Any others? Abby said being too aware, over aware of other people's problems. I think if we're honest and we think about ourselves as the sent people of God, his missionary people, we really are often found peddling a grace that we've only really sipped on as kind of a luxury belief and not something we drank deeply because we needed it to live. That's where God wants to get us. Not where his grace is an idea or a or a luxury that we sip on, but we're like the, the woman at the well where we need, where we thirst, where we long, where we, where we say, I'm like the deer panting for the water. My soul pants after you. Just this past week, I noticed this in my own life. One of our, our children, uh, not Kaylee, so you don't think it's her, she's in here, was, was, was doing something, trying to get better at something, and he just continually was downing himself. You know, I'm horrible at this. I'm no good at this. And I was, of course, rushing in, right? Because it's so easy to speak God's grace into everybody else's life, right? To, to say, no, you can't speak about yourself that way. You need to be confident in who God says you are. You need to realize that you're not defined by what you do or how well that you do it. Only to find myself later that night trying to work on something and to get better at it. And to hear myself, and I think maybe my wife even heard it, saying things like, I'm just horrible at this. Why do I even try? It's not even worth it. I should just quit. And in those moments, the Holy Spirit reminds me, I think you just had a conversation with someone else about that earlier this day. And God in His grace brings us to those places not as a God who's seeking to destroy us, to condemn us, or to, to push us down, but a God who wants to raise us up in His grace. He doesn't want us to have to learn the hard way, but so often He is willing to take us through that path if that's what we need. It's our foolishness, and it's very dangerous for us to test God with that, but it is His faithfulness and His devotion to us to lead us through that. Because sometimes the messenger of grace has to be taken to a dark, deep place to be reawakened to the magnificence of God's grace. This is exactly what happens to Jonah. And it's a picture, it's a pattern for what happens in us when we come to know the Lord truly for the first time, but what we must re have reawakened in our lives many times. So what does this journey mean for us? The first thing in this journey of reawakening to grace is we must expect the surprises of grace. If you haven't realized it yet, God does not serve the scripts that we've written for our lives. God, God isn't asking you to send him your vision for the future. And your plan, even, this is really what's hard. You, we all in here have our plans for our spiritual growth. And I think sometimes we assume, God, I really want to grow closer to you. Here's my plan for my growth. Now you cooperate. 
he surprises us. We notice here Jonah's surprising means of grace. He's swallowed by a fish. Now that sounds shocking. This is hard for many people to believe today. But imagine how it felt for Jonah. I mean, he would have not wrote out the script for his spiritual journey that involved him being tossed into the sea and swallowed by a fish. That would have been the furthest thing probably from his mind. Just like whatever you're going through in your life, in God's curriculum or script for your growth, may be the last thing you would have chosen. And yet, as we think about what this fish represents, is this fish was not sent to punish Jonah. It was sent to rescue him. That the instrument that played this role in Jonah's discipline was also the very instrument that would be used for Jonah's deliverance. But it's a fish. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. So think a little more. It would have been one thing for this fish to come along, scoop Jonah up, and take him to dry land. Right? If you were going to write the fish story, you might write it that way. But no, he's got to spend three days and three nights in this thing. I'm a very claustrophobic person. I was watching a TV show the other night where people had to get in a trunk and ride in it, and they just did that like it was no big deal. I tried that once in high school, and I started panicking, intensely banging on it, like, let me out. I can't handle this. And so just imagine Jonah here trapped in the side, the belly of this well. If you've watched Pinocchio, that is the wrong vision. Jonah is not floating on a, on a log comfortably inside of a fish, you know, awaiting his time to be rescued. We're talking about someone closed up in the digestive tract of a fish who very likely feels like he is just about to die but is being tortured. Is that not how your spiritual life and growth feels sometimes? God, I feel like you've put me in a place of torture. But Jonah had to be stopped and slowed down. And I thought about me trapped in that trunk, and I thought probably the only way that I would quit panicking is I would have to be in there long enough until I just kind of gave up. I would have to be in there long enough that I just felt like, okay, this is where I am. I would have to stop banging. I'd have to start trying. I think that's where God wants to bring us. But most of us are still kicking and screaming. Busyness doesn't deliver us. Running away doesn't deliver us. Trying to numb our pain doesn't deliver us. One pastor said there's a fatal flaw in Jonah's character and it had lain hidden from him as long as his life was going well. It was only through complete failure that he could begin to see it and change it. And that was a grace of God. 
God is not in the business of serving our idols of comfort, control, approval, or performance that in the end will leave us with wasted, weak lives. He loves us too much. Uh, one of, I think, Cassie's milestones in her life as a mom was the fact that early on in our relationship, she told me that she would never drive a minivan. Now, y'all already know the joke's on her. But, uh, but the way that that whole journey started was really almost prior, prior to us even having children. Her grandfather gave us a minivan. And it was at 21. Okay, yeah, she's help, helping us out here. And, and it was sort of like, what do you do? You're getting given a free car. And among all the many other surprises that come with motherhood and life in general, it was like, wow, that's a humbling yet surprising means of grace. It's actually, we received this minivan, and you know, this was even before the Toyota Swagger Wagon commercial, so nobody was trying to make it cool. And it was like, wow, now this van was used. We were, I was a youth pastor at the time, and it was like we now had this vehicle that was able to go pick up all of these kids and bring them into a life of discipleship. And actually, many times it wasn't just getting the kids to a church building. If any of you know, it's the car rides where the relationships are built, where the important conversations happen. I'm sure many of you moms would say today, God has used momming or motherhood to really slow me down, to sometimes just completely stop me in my tracks, to reveal me, to humble me, and to help me see my need like never before. For those of us in here, like myself, who are not mothers, that's just true of us all. You had a vision for what a certain part of your life would look like. And God has sent these surprising means of grace to just slow you down. To maybe make you feel trapped. But he was doing that so you turned to him. It's kind of like Peter. In the New Testament, Peter says to Jesus before he goes to the cross, I will never deny you. All these other bums might deny you, but even if I have to die fighting by your side, I will never deny you. I mean, we've said that in our lives before, right? I won't be like these people who worship their comfort. I won't be like these people who, who do this or do that. But then Peter got hit with a scenario that he really did, wasn't ready for. As much as he thought he was, he did, not have an, he did not have a category that Jesus would not only have to engage the principalities and powers of this world, but he would be killed by them. He would be captured. And so Peter, who would fight for Jesus, ready to cut off folks' ears, is not the Peter who was willing to die with Jesus. It didn't make sense to him. 
But Jesus has said to Peter the same thing he says to us. Satan has asked that I'd sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that you'll persevere. Peter would not have ever been ready to be that rock that would be so instrumental in the development of the early church built on the foundation of the grace of the gospel unless he was taken into the depths of his need for it. In a sense, he had to deny Jesus so that then he could really experience the grace of Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't meet him with a lightning bolt of judgment, but with questions, do you love me, Peter? Will you feed my sheep? Our visions of glory weren't being swallowed by a fish, were they? As Calvin says, God uses this fish as a hospital for Jonah's healing. We must expect surprises of grace. God's not here to execute your or my script for our growth. Expect Him to call you what you don't to do what you don't really want to do, or at least not your way of doing it. Expect Him to place you with people or places who frustrate your visions and your dreams. Expect Him to show you things about yourself you didn't want to see. But expect His grace to never run out. Expect Him to be working your deliverance through the very instrument of your discipline. Whatever trial or temptation you're facing, don't see that God has sent that to kill you. He has sent it to rescue you. But we must engage not only expecting the surprises of grace, but then in these steps of grace we see in chapter 2. Jonah, who is running, to the, running from the Lord, now gives us this beautiful picture of repentance and what it looks like. What changes in Jonah's heart as he is led back to God? What are these, these steps of really revival and renewal that happen in him? The first thing is, is he moves from bitterness towards God to brokenness before God. This is a big move. This is true in any awakening to grace or reawakening is we move from bitterness to brokenness. Notice verse 1. He's broken. As I called out to the Lord of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, I cried and you heard my voice. Sheol, the place of the dead. Jonah all throughout these verses in this psalm really that he writes is he's saying, God, I've moved from a place of where I feel like I'm entitled and deserving to realize that before you, all I deserve is judgment. He also in these verses, particularly verses 2 through 4, we see he moves from pouting to poetry. Pouting is when you go to your room Pouting is when you say, nobody understands me, and God doesn't care, so I'm just going to go over here in the corner. That's what I do when I'm being silly to my kids. It's like somebody says something, I pretend like it hurts my feelings, I'll go stand in the corner and do this. Right? Now, I do that joking. I probably do that actually in my heart sometimes. 
When we're moving from bitterness to brokenness, we don't go pout, but we also don't deny our feelings. We move from pouting to poetry. We become psalmist, as it were, who put words and language to our emotions and to our need before God. We also move from hopelessness to hope. We see this in verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. In verse 6, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This is some serious, deep, dark stuff Jonah's in. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. Oh Lord, my life. There's a last word. The last word is not the darkness. The last word is God's deliverance. And so we see bitterness to brokenness moves from this state of just living dead to realizing that by grace alone, one is alive. What changes in Jonah? He moves from bitterness to brokenness. Also in verse 7, we see he moves from running from God to remembering God. My life was fainting away. I remember the Lord. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. It's as if Jonah is like the prodigal son who runs away. And then we see the prodigal son as he's feeding on the pig's, the pig's feed. It says he came to his senses. He remembered his father's house. And Jonah, this prodigal prophet, comes to his senses. And then he, instead of, remember last week, this underlined thing. What is Jonah doing? It's not just he's running away from God's call. It says he runs from the presence of the Lord. But now instead of turning from the presence of the Lord, it says my prayer came to you in your holy temple. In this old covenant period, although God still was everywhere, if you wanted to experience God's special manifest presence, there was only one place you could do that, and that was at the temple. This is where... The priesthood was. This is where the sacrifices for sin were. This is where the people of God were. Jonah here is remembering the gospel. When repentance happens in our heart, the gospel no longer is blah, blah, blah. I've heard that a hundred times before. It doesn't make any difference in my life. I just might as well run away. No, when a true awakening of grace happens in our hearts, bitterness moves to brokenness, and brokenness makes these truths of the gospel no more cliches, but even stated in the very same way, now they become the greatest truths in the world to our hearts. We can't get enough of them. We want God's word. We want God's truth. We want God's people. We want to pray. We want to praise and so not only from bitterness to brokenness and from running to remembering, but lastly, from turning inward to turning upward and outward. Notice verses 8 and 9. Jonah here speaks of those who pay regard to vain idols as those who forsake their hope of steadfast love or grace or, or, or this word hesed, the covenant unfailing faithfulness of God. This is really, really interesting because think about this. Why is Jonah running from God? Because he doesn't want to see God change other people's lives who he doesn't think deserves it. 
Jonah only cares about the nation of Israel, his people. But when repentance happened, now Jonah is not just all about Jonah and his people. Jonah now is turned outward to where he actually cares about idolaters. This is not a slight thing. True repentance doesn't lead us into just this vertical relationship with God. True repentance turns us out. But it also does turn us up. Jonah says, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to God. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Nothing has changed in Jonah's experience. Jonah is not saying, you get me out of this fish, and then I'll praise you. Jonah is saying, I will praise you yet while I'm in the fish. Jonah is saying salvation belongs to the Lord, not once he's on the land. Jonah is saying salvation belongs to the Lord while he remains in the darkness. This is how we know our hearts are truly being changed. Is God is no longer a means to an end. God is not only a way to get us what we want, God becomes what we want. There's an old song that John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace, wrote. Somehow I've not stuck that paper in here, but the good news is, is we're going to sing it in a minute. And I want to read it to you now, so Chris, if you would click to the last song. It was, oh, we know amazing grace, but I want you to hear the words to this song, because this process may be easy to talk about, but it's not easy to live through. So he writes, I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. So we're like, God, I want to grow. T'was he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request. And by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. So I'm honest about my sin. I'm honest about my need of grace. God, grow me. Do it now, at once. But instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Seemed like he was wanting to make it worse. He crossed all the fair designs I schemed. He didn't cooperate with my plan. He humbled my heart and laid me low. Lord, why is this, I trembling cried. Will thou pursue thy worm to death? Trying to kill me? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. 
That's a hard song to sing. It's a hard one to live. But that will only be good news if we believe God is good. You see, we buck against that and it reveals that we still are paying regard to vain idols. But those who pay regard to vain idols forfeit their hope of the greater, the steadfast love. So as God came to Adam in the garden and he said, where are you? I believe God is here right now asking us that question. Not because he doesn't know where our location is, but he wants to know where our location is in relation to him. Where are you? Are you moving from bitterness to brokenness or are you sitting in your bitterness? Bitterness is pride that says, yeah, I know I'm bad, but I'm still in control and I can manage. Bitterness is saying, I'll show God or I'll show others if they don't give me what I want. We all have our ways in here of punishing God and each other. And the way we know we've not moved from bitterness to brokenness yet is because we're still trying to stick it to other people or trying to stick it to God in our own way. We're detaching, we're judging, but brokenness is you're no longer shaking your fist at God for what he sent into your life, but you're acknowledging I'm only held by your grace. I don't deserve anything from you or anybody else. And you become grateful. Are you running or remembering? Where are you? The authenticity of a broken spirit remembers the gospel as much as it remembers sin. And we have to particularly be careful of this. We're a church that says we want to make Jesus known to the broken, the burnout, and the bored. We don't want to be a cruise liner. We want to be more like a hospital aircraft carrier. We want to say this is a place where you can lament. This is a place where you can be real about your struggles and your sin. But we need to realize that we don't want that to be where we stop. Imagine a hospital that was just a great place for sick people to go and stay sick. Oh, we love this hospital. I don't have to lie about how I feel. I don't have to have people judging me for my diseases. But nobody ever gets healed. Nobody ever gets stronger. Nobody ever grows. Nobody actually moves from being those who are served to those who are serving. God doesn't leave Jonah in the belly of the whale. But he does allow him the time to be there. To stop him. To slow him down. Many of us live our lives and view our hearts like, uh, like people who don't, can't watch a movie very long until, unless something blows up. Some of you are like this. I can be like that. Right, watch this long enough. Nobody's got shot or nobody, nothing's blew up. I'm bored. Next. <laughs> Too much talking. Feels like I'm watching a play on TV. And I like plays. No offense, plays. It's like, this is boring. Well, that's how we can be in our lives. God, you're not doing anything. Guess what? 
We may prize action and plot development over character development in our movies, in our TV, and in our lives, but God doesn't. God is willing to continue to let you live in the belly of whatever fish you're in, as boring and mundane as you may think it is, but as long as it takes that work to happen in your heart. Where are you? Are you turned inward? Is everything, is every experience you have with God and with others about you? Is your world basically just revolving around where you are, how you feel, what's happened to you? Or are you turned upward and outward? Jonah was all about Jonah and his running. How the world was against him. How the world was such a messed up place. How trapped he was by all these external things. But now, Jonah turns upward, and he turns outward. The last thing here, briefly, that we need to touch is, not only does this journey mean we need to expect the surprises of grace, we need to engage these steps of grace, but we've got to embrace the sovereign, sustaining source of grace. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry ground. That's a pretty gross image, isn't it? So this isn't our Sunday school flannel graph where Jonah's spat out and there he is all nice and shiny in his man dress. No. Jonah is covered in fish vomit. Fish don't smell that great anyway. But fish vomit? He smells like a mixture of fish and throw up. That's humiliating. But the good news behind this is that the Lord who took Jonah down is the Lord who rose Jonah up. What we see in this glory of this fish vomit is a sign of the sovereign commitment of God to Jonah and his mission to the nations. It wasn't about Jonah's looking good and doing it. It was about Jonah's experiencing the humbling yet hope-giving power of God's grace. We see Jonah is not just swallowed up for forgiveness, but he spat out for obedience. This is the way that grace works. Grace does save us from disobedience, but grace also sends us for obedience. Jonah doesn't just have this encounter with God and it's like, oh, wasn't that great that I had this big experience with God and, and I'm forgiven and now I'll just go on with my life and do whatever I want. No. It's like, Jonah, you're still called to go to Nineveh. You're still called to obey me. So Jonah is not spat out as perfect as we'll see, but he is spat out as empowered. And we may ask, well, what in the world does this good news have for me? How can I live into this today? You might be thinking, oh, I'm not Jonah. This is exactly what Jesus is saying as he speaks in Matthew chapter 12. He speaks to this adulterous and an evil generation that wants to see some kind of sign that who Jesus is applies to them. Jesus, prove to us that you are who you say you are. And in so many ways, we say this today too. Jesus, do something else. I'm bitter. Jesus, do something else. I'm running. Jesus, do something else because I'm testing these idols. Why don't you do something, Jesus, in my life right now? Throw me a line. 
Give me a sign. And Jesus says to us, you will receive no sign except the sign of the prophet Jonah. But just as he was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Like Jonah, we deserve to go down. We deserve to stay down. But in Jonah's deliverance, we're pointed to our hope. We're pointed to Jesus' going down for us. Into the deep, into the dark place that we deserve for our sin, Jesus went and he took on the judgment that we deserve. But he didn't stay there. So he meets us in our despair. He meets us in our sin. But he doesn't leave us there. Because Jesus was risen and in his resurrection we see the sign that God will not give up on us. We're reminded of the grace of God that it is committed to us. That ever how again and again and again we find ourselves in the bellies of these fishy situations. However helpless we are to get out of that belly, God by his grace spits us out. Now, if anyone knows about what it's like to be covered in vomit, it's a mom. Literally and figuratively. Literally covered in vomit sometimes, wondering, what is the point of my life? This does not look like a great Instagram post right now. And no matter how much I dress it up and hashtag blessed, it stinks. Figuratively, reading these mommy blogs and posts, feeling like you're never going to measure up and you don't have what it takes, that there's nailing it, but you're just trapped. Hearing people tell you how they could do it better, some with kids, some without, or others telling you how you shouldn't talk about your struggles because it alienates other people who don't have kids. And you're just like... What, what am I supposed to do? Well, first of all, realize, moms, you're not unique. We all have our own versions of feeling misunderstood and alone. We all have the stench of our own particular fish vomit situations on us. But what you're called to remember, and all of us are called to remember, is the smell of that vomit may be a sign of our weakness, and our inability to control our lives, but it is equally a sign of God's ability to empower us through the darkest of days into his light. God is not going to leave us in the belly of the fish because Jesus is risen. He restarts us again and again. He doesn't give us one experience of repentance, but by His grace, He leads us through many seasons. Because we have a greater Jonah as our King in Jesus, we know grace is not merely the story of our past, but the anchor of our present and the hope of our future. But sometimes the messenger of grace has to be taken into that deep, dark place for us to be reminded of the magnificence of grace. Father, thank you for your good news. We pray today as we come to your table. Grace would not really merely be an idea to us, but grace would have a name, Jesus. And we would see that grace is ours. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.